Hello and welcome to Creation Talk. Today we're going to be discussing arguments that creationists should not use. Hi, I'm Gary Bates, CEO of Creation Ministries International US. I'm joined by our head scientist today, Dr. Jonathan Safady. So, Jonathan, um, you know, we're going to discuss arguments creationists should not use, but I think first off is why is this important? You know, you and I have been involved in the creation movement for a long time, myself over 30 years. Mm, and yeah. sometimes, you know, we go out on ministry or people write to us and they say, well, you know, doesn't this disprove evolution or mm. does this prove creation? You know, not trying to be unkind, but sometimes we squirm a little bit because mm. they are bad arguments that we know could be knocked down very, very easily. And just as a preface, I just want to encourage people that as Christians, truth should count, integrity mm. should count. And as a scientific method, it's fair to say when I talk about observable, repeatable, testable type science, our views can sometimes change in light of discoveries we make tomorrow. Right? Well, exactly. I mean, Jesus said, the truth shall set you free, not error. And also it's a case of what our foundation should be. It's the unchanging word of God, not um, fallible, changing uh, human models, which even creation models can change as we have new evidence. So we change our minds. Yes, I think, uh, in fact, we can refer to our former mentor for both of us, Dr. Mm -hmm. Carl Whelan, who brought us both into the ministry, former uh, general manager of the Australian office. He said, uh, hold two models loosely, mm. hold to the Bible tightly. It's a classic article called Hanging Loose, and he actually warned people about things like the canopy theory, which was very popular at the time. This is back in 1981, but he even said back then, it's a model, not a direct teaching of Scripture, so hold it loosely. And now most creationists don't accept the canopy theory. Yeah. So the canopy theory is the view that there was this water vapor canopy over the earth and it filtered out harmful radiation, mm. uh, created a, 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 a special environment on the earth pre-flood, etc. We don't have time to talk about that because we'll do a special episode on that. It'll virtually take a whole episode to deal with. But again, you can just type those words canopy theory into our website and uh, get some information on it. Let's deal with a couple, John. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I'll talk about this one, if sure. you like. Um, Please. This is this one that goes around that Darwin recanted on his deathbed, that, mm -hmm. you know, what we call father of modern evolutionary theory. He changed his mind before he died. That is definitely a bad argument. There's no truth in it. And again, there's an article on our website, type in Darwin recants. Now, this came about by with a lady called Lady Hope, mm -hmm. Darwin died in 1882, claimed to have visited his deathbed and heard him recount. A couple of things. That was not substantiated by anybody else, but like a lot of things, even in the church, within a year, pastors were preaching on it, saying, oh, yeah. oh Darwin re recanted, and it took on kind of a life uh, of its own. Yeah, luckily it wasn't internet back in those days, my goodness. Yeah, or social media. So... Um, there is no subst uh, substantive evidence that this was the case. And, of course, Darwin's own family said that he never recanted, those closest to him as and well. And some of them would loved him too have recanted, like his wife never liked his theory, yet she never could collaborate, corroborate it. And also you have to ask, I mean, does it prove what you're claiming? If he recanted, does it disprove evolution? If one of us recanted creation, would it yeah. prove the Bible wrong? Well, no, it wouldn't. So sometimes you've got to understand, does the argument prove what I'm trying to make it prove? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a really good apologetics argument mm. in terms of uh, you know, our, crea our creation position and obviously trying to substantiate the, the book of Genesis. 
Here's an interesting one. People might not have heard about this, but woolly mammoths were snap frozen during the flood catastrophe. Now, we do mm. see woolly mammoths preserved in ice. I mean, they're, they're some fossilised, but mm. some you can even extract DNA on and they look fresh and they look mm. like they were frozen or preserved very, very quickly. But what's the big deal about that being a bad argument? Well, I mean, the uh, I, it was actually a misunderstanding of what they actually found. They're actually found in windblown deposits. of It's called lurse. It's, it's a fine, dusty thing that's been consolidated. So uh, it's based on a misapprehension. And then you find they're not as fresh as people think because there is actually time for decay. Like there's a putrid roots in the hair. So the, the hair's had time to decay. So it's not snap frozen. It's certainly frozen very fast. But also a lot of this was pre, uh, say, Mike Hord's work on the Ice Age mm. where he showed the Ice Age would happen after the flood. And he showed the mammoths would have been buried towards the end of the Ice Age because of where we find them. Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't a flood. They're not flood uh, animals. They're actually Ice Age fossils. Yep. All right, so another one, and this was very popular, probably an argument you may have used at one stage, and even myself, and uh, that the Japanese uh, fishing trawler, Zuyo Maru, caught mm. a dead plesiosaur. So there were pictures of this creature mm. uh, that looked like a plesiosaur trawled up in a net from a Japanese fishing trawler. And when you look at it, it looked like it had the classic wing-type mm. fins, long neck, uh, etc. Now, uh, why creationists initially got excited about this is because plesiosaurs, they were a an extinct marine reptile, mm-hmm. but they lived at the time of the dinosaurs, according to evolutionists. We find them in the same fossil-bearing mm. deposits. So this would have been kind of evidence of almost like a living dinosaur mm-hmm. uh, in a way. And so, yes, people were very excited about it, but what happened is we, they found out that actually this was just the carcass of a decaying basking shark, mm. and we've seen more uh, examples of this. It's the way that it decays well, what happens, you see, the basking shark doesn't look like a plesiosaur, but when it decays, the gill arch is being, they're very vascular, they decay really quickly, they slough off, and therefore it produces a sort of pseudo-plesiosaur narrow neck profile. But this is actually well known. Some One of our friends in New Zealand found an almost identical carcass uh, on a beach in Kaikoura in New Zealand, and it's clearly a basking shark. So it's totally disproves the the plesiosaur identification and look at the vertebrae there they're shark very plain shark vertebrae not the complicated ones that the reptiles have so it's not a not a plesiosaur please don't use that yeah and there are better evidences too because uh mm. for example in the wallamai state forest outside of sydney new south wales australia they found a pine tree mm. now affectionately called the wallamai pine but evolutionists said, wow, it was like finding a living dinosaur. Mm. Why? Because they'd found fossils of this pine tree in dinosaur-bearing strata. Mm-hmm. So, again, we have you know, evidences supposedly of creatures that lived millions mm. of years ago or organisms that are, that are alive today. The plesiosaur is not a good one. There's also the coelacanth. Coelacanth, yeah. So this was uh, uh, a case of this creature where they said, look, you know, these uh, – these fins are precursors to it walking on the land, leaving the ocean, coming onto the land. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was Marjorie Latimer in Africa found one for sale in a fish market uh, early last century. Mm-hmm. And now National Geographic have been under the water and we've seen pictures of them swimming in the Indian Ocean, South Asia region in, in oceans there, seas there. So again, this was found in dinosaur-bearing strata, mm. but it's alive today. So it's uh, 
We have better evidences that we can we can use if uh, rather than the plesiosaur. Well, I mean, it's interesting. You see, the cats and whales live together in the sea today, but they never found fossilized together. Ah. So that's an interesting thing. Just because things live together, is no guarantee they'll be found fossilized together. So that's an answer. If anyone asks you why aren't humans and dinosaurs fossilized together, well, why aren't coelacanths and whales fossilized together? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't expect humans and dinosaurs to be buried together. We generally wouldn't uh, inhabit the same environments. I mean, it's like saying, saying, well, why aren't humans and tigers or lions fossilized together? Uh, I generally don't associate with them. I don't know about you, but (laughs) anyway, so uh, here's another one. And this comes up very, very common. Um, If we evolved from apes, you know, why are there still apes around today? You know, why are they hanging from the trees? If evolution is true, wouldn't they have died out? And again, we've got to be careful because. Saying that is actually a misrepresentation of the evolutionist position, too. Well, okay, um, they would say humans and apes came from a common ancestor, but if anyone saw that ancestor, they would call it an ape, okay? But the issue also is that, that evolution is supposed to happen in small, isolated populations that have been separated from the main ones. So they would actually quite expect that you have the main population unchanging and a small population branching off and changing. So there'll be they would expect to have apes and humans. It's not a big deal for them. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the classic evolutionary tree, there mm. are many branches, mm-hmm. and not all of those branches continued. So, yes, that last one's a very common one, and mm. this next one is also very common, uh, Jonathan, and that is the idea that women have one more rib than men, supposedly going back to the creation account where God removed a rib from Adam to create his helpmate and therefore men have one less rib today. Uh, first off, that's actually just not true. Um, I mean, and it's one of those cases, to be honest, where you would be kind of laughed at if you tried to use that uh, argument because just it's a scientific fact that men do not have one less rib. So we mentioned Dr. Carl Whelan mm-hmm. before, and uh, when he was going to work for the ministry full-time, migrating from South Australia to Brisbane, in the middle of the Australian outback, he had a terrible head-on collision with a fuel tanker. They had to cut him from the wreckage. He's had over 60 operations to basically repair his body. And part of that was he almost lost one side of his face. Now, Carl actually has surgical qualifications, but his story goes that when he was in hospital, he noticed the doctors were going back into the same incision area they'd previously been, and they were taking out rib. The rib bone is very malleable, could be shaped mm. you know, for uh, the use on his reconstructing his face. And he said, haven't you run out of bone? So even he didn't know that if you leave the periosteum, which is the sheathing, the more you leave it intact, the better chance the rib bone has of regrowing. So the rib bone is the only bone in the body that will regrow Mm. if you leave the periosteum there. So, of course, Adam didn't walk around, like you said, for 900-plus years with one less rib. And the thing, too, even if you removed a bone, it's not an inheritable characteristic. Mm. Well, amputees don't have amputee children, do they? And the the Bible actually talks about a certain compulsory amputation operation for male, for Jewish male babies every generation uh, from Abraham to Jesus. It had to be repeated, right? All right. So another one we've got, Jonathan, I'll get you to comment on, is this one that no new species have been produced. Now, we, oh could, my. we could talk forever about what is a species. Mm-hmm. And if you asked you know, evolutionists, you'll get a different definition from a biologist than Mm. you would from a geologist. Uh, First thing to set you up here is that really species is a modern word. It's not something you see in scripture. And the fact is, if we use the modern descriptions of what a species is, 
It's not a problem for creationists, and there are lots of different species. Right, because we believe that things reproduce after their kind, but the kind was far broader than what most people think of as a species. One kind would have been able to diversify. God programmed lots of genetic information so creatures could adapt to different environments and even produce different species and, in fact, even different genera, the next highest level. In fact, sometimes they're even... Um, different families are clearly part of the same created kind because they can make hybrids, they can cross with each other. It happens. Yeah, a good example is lions and tigers mm. would be classified, as many members of the cat family are, as different species, mm. but they can clearly interbreed, which means they came from a, an original created kind. But as modern taxonomy goes, we classify them as different species. So mm. clearly you can get a new species the argument is is evolution in terms of the genetic information heading in the right direction. Um, small dogs, chihuahuas, have less genetic information than Great Danes for size. Mm. And I often say, you know, if we hadn't seen chihuahuas and Great Danes alive today and maybe, because we know they technically can interbreed, maybe only found their fossils in the fossil records, we'd probably be calling them separate species as well. Maybe separate families for all we know, yeah. Yeah, so the term species is very fluid. It's nothing that uh, you need to be concerned about, ladies and gentlemen. Species is, if you want to use again the modern term, is really kind of a prediction of the creation model as well. Well, Darwin, pre-Darwinian creations understood that the animals on the ark would have been fewer than the animals we see today on land. Therefore, there must be some process of variation that we would now call speciation. So it wasn't a Darwinian invention. Creationists were understood yeah. this long before. So the term natural selection is a good one to type into creation.com because even through artificial breeding, selective mm. breeding today, um, potentially people uh, could produce new species. And we've got videos on natural selection, haven't we? Yes, so we have. All right, so here's one that uh, often gets circulated through viral emails that people receive and asking us for comment, and that is that archaeologists have found giant skeletons and giant footprints of massive human beings. And you've probably seen somewhere mm. there's this huge skeleton and it's being uncovered, etc. Uh, first thing I can say is those images, if you've seen them, are false. Yeah. <laughs> they are actually Photoshopped. But uh, there's a scientific reason why you could not get humans that size. And I just want to preface here that a lot of people jump onto this mm. because they think this is a validation of the Genesis 6 account mm -hmm. because the King James Version uses the term giants. Right, yes. Um, where, of course, modern translations don't, don't use that. So is it a validation of Scripture by seeing these alleged giant? Well, I mean, if we go back to Scripture, as you just did, uh, we should say, what does the Scripture teach? It teaches ne Nephilim is what the word is. Are they really giants? Why validate um, something which may not be scriptural anyway? But then the scientific law is called the square cube yeah. law. If you double in every proportion, uh, the strength is based on the cross-section of your bones and muscle. That goes up according to the area, which is the square of the linear but your mass goes up to the as your volume, which is the cube. So, in fact, as you go bigger, you'll have far too little muscle and bone strength to support your weight. So there's no way things with human proportions could be three times the size of modern humans. In fact, even today, anyone who's actually over eight feet tall it usually has incredible problems. There's too much mass for you to cope, for your bones to cope with. Yeah, it's fascinating. Look at the Guinness Book of Records and you'll see some of the very large humans that have existed that we know and they have all generally had health problems 
or in some cases they've had genetic disorders that has caused them to grow to uh, that size. So in short, there is an upper limit mm. to what human beings can can be. And uh, we're not going to discuss this. We're going to sign off now. But mm-hmm. one of the big ones, and we actually have a whole episode de- dedicated to this, is what we call the Paluxy footprints. Oh, my, yes. That in Glen Rose, Texas, there are human footprints and dinosaur footprints coexisting together as an alleged proof that humans mm. and dinosaurs live together at the same time. They're not human footprints. That's as simple as that. But if you're watching on YouTube or at our media center, just type in Paluxy, P-A-L, UXY, mm. and we've got a whole episode based on that for you. So, Jonathan, we've just scratched the surface, mm. and we have an article on our website, if people want to type it in, called Arguments Creationists Should Not Use, shortcut is creation.com forward slash don't use, and these were just a handful. And we update mm. that article all the time yep. as new information mm-hmm. comes to light, as we said at the beginning. And, of course, if you want to hold up that video, you gave a, a lecture on this some years ago called Arguments Creationists Should Not Use. That is also available as a download, and you can now stream that from creation.com as well. So thanks for joining me today, mm, Jonathan, and uh, hopefully that's just whet your appetite, ladies and gentlemen. I know sometimes we love to hold on to what we think of these mm. magic bullet arguments. Um, I know we've done it ourselves, but uh, in the light of new discoveries, with Scripture being our first and foremost guide, sometimes we've, we've got to move on from them. So again, hope you enjoyed this. Don't forget to share this information Mm -hmm. and particularly subscribe so you'll be updated when we have new content on our website. So thanks for joining us again today on Creation Talk. Mm